1: throw wide open it's into the end zone touchdown smith schuster inside the 30 step he's gonna
0: go 97 yards for the touchdown welcome into the fantasy football mailbag a RotoViz podcast this is the december 4th episode and we as always remain dedicated to answering all of those fantasy football questions i am your host mike randall Follow me on Twitter at Randall Rand, and today we welcome in the great John Daigle from Roto World and NBC Sports. John does fantastic work over at Roto World, writing, podcasts, TV, analysis, breaking down fantasy football from every angle, seasonal DFS dynasty, you name it. Fantastic work ethic, brings that relentless content that we love that helps us win a fantasy title, especially now as we enter week 13. One of my favorite followers on Twitter, please follow him, at not J Daigle, D-A-I-G-L-E. John, great to get you on the mailbag, man. How you doing? Great to be here. You don't even know this, but
1: your mailbags are actually one of my favorite off-season pods to listen to. Uh, the number of guests you have on, I think all deliver terrific content. So yeah, actually very, very familiar with the show and excited to be here.
0: Well, it's an honor to have you here. Thanks so much for listening. And and I, I can't wait to get uh, all the content from you and steal it just to uh, be selfish and, and do well myself. <laughs> That's really the goal here. Selfishness above all else, John. Feel free to. Just like here at RotoViz, world NBC Sports, you guys are the gold standard among a myriad of fantasy sites here. I'm just curious, how'd you get started over there? How's it going? And then any advice? Because I get a lot of DMs recently on how to get started, podcast, fantasy writing. So you're at the top of the mountain here. Just tell us about how you got started, how it's going. Oh, how much time do you have is the real question. Uh, <laughs> well, I really just want to get into the stories with you and Evan Silva rooming together. That's really the, the roundabout way for this, but there's so many angles you can go with. Silva's actually a part of the story, not the part where we roomed together for four
1: months this season. That's a whole nother, whole nother <laughs> t- thing, but... Uh, so yeah, so I actually compare my career path like abs on Instagram. Um, you know, they show up and everyone thinks oh, that's easy, you know, you just get them and then take photos and you make money. but you don't realize <laughs> a lot of people don't understand the grueling work that goes on behind the scenes to get there. So like I show up on a podcast, people don't understand and that's why you're asking it's the path I took and it's it's just a ridiculous one that's a lot longer and harder than the one others fall into. but for your the second part of the question here is. Uh, how would someone go about it since you get a lot of questions? I do as well. And I typically just tell people, like, you work hard. That's the obvious thing to do, right? Um, but what you do is prep for when you get into position to succeed and uh, you get lucky then. Like, uh, I prepped as if I would get the get a potential opportunity, and then eventually I got lucky and got that opportunity. Like, you have to work hard, but you definitely have to get lucky in some past. There are people who have worked harder and smarter than me throughout the years who probably – I don't know because they just never got a break or at least got a break later in life. Um, so the path I took here, I guess you can say a wild one that eventually um, started with a, was. well, it goes back all the way to high school, really, like writing a MySpace, MySpace blog, wanting to write in sports. And like I, I kind of got reps that way, wrote for a hometown newspaper, wrote for other newspapers around the my home state of Texas, uh, eventually wrote and did so much and never caught a break, like created my own podcast, created my own website, did it out of college for, you know if we add up the high school years, probably for six, seven years. I'm like 24, 25 at this time. Um, Eventually got winded down and uh, got tired, had a quarter life crisis, thinking I'd never get an opportunity, which is crazy, right? I'm only 24, 25 at that time. To think like, oh, my life is over then is just absolutely ridiculous. Having said that, uh was just burnt out on everything and never got the chance just yet so uh went to australia decided to stay there for a couple years um then and just work in other paths while riding on the side tediously just just small small paying gigs really along with work in australia came back and then was like okay i'll give this one more year i still got the itch because that's the thing like if you really If you're really in this industry, everyone knows you you can get tired and fed up and want to walk away, but you have the itch. And so you just always keep coming back. And I still have the itch. So uh, Jonathan Bell's good friend now actually randomly sent out a tweet saying, hey, we need help at this company called Fantasy Labs. They were a true startup at the time. Um, You know, just don't even need a resume. Tell me why. We should get you hired. And I told him everything I'd done to that point, had played poker professionally out of college while trying to write, like support myself through through different endeavors. And like the letter was long enough, I guess, that um, he hired me on as admin, but also worked football news with Adam Levitan. There was a season there. People don't even know. This is how Levitan became a good friend of mine that um, we overlapped and we were the only people on Fantasy Labs NFL news. And this is before, of course, Mark, Mark Cuban invested in the company. This is before it got bought out by the churning group uh, this is a before a lot of things. And so uh, through my work, long story long, uh, through my work at Fantasy Labs, writing baseball previews of all things, Evan Silva followed me on Twitter and started DMing me uh, and just saying, hey, I, I read the content. I really like it. Uh, good job. Just want to tell you that. Cool. Awesome. Silva reached out for baseball content. That's awesome. I follow Silva. Everybody knows him at this time. It's great. Then like my contract ended, let's say we get two years down the road. And again, uh, I'm just kind of burnt out at this time. There was a season. I don't even know what season it was, uh, where I was a football fan, but only doing like one article per week. Like I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't trying to work hard in it. I was just kind of burnt out and was like, yeah, my time came and went. Um, I had a good chance. It got let go. I never made it with labs too big. Um, I'm happy though. I'm happy in life. No big deal. And then at the end of that season, I don't even know when it was, I guess three years ago. Uh, Silva reached out just with his phone number and my DMs. So I called him, I'm in LA at this time, living there. And uh, I called him and he basically just asked, hey, what the hell are you doing? And why aren't you doing more in football? Because I really like your work. And I was like, explain the whole life story, whatever, he just wanted to get to know me. That eventually led to me having a column idea. I sent it to him, which is now the annual available Air Yards and Targets column on Roto World. Yes. Yeah, am, sure. Yeah, that I'm in charge of. That was my first pitch to him. He said, yeah, we're getting this up quickly as possible so no one beats you to this idea yeah he didn't even ask someone he just posted it on rotor world and um that kind of became the guiding light they gave me a couple reps on news but of course i had already worked fantasy labs news for years so news is nothing to me so they hired me within a couple weeks um, and yeah and from there it's from there it's told uh, he left i sort of took on his higher role and and of course, yeah, that's that's really how we got here. It's a long-winded way to say it took a while, but I finally
0: got an opportunity thanks to my roommate, Silva. Well, you know, it's a great story, John, because what I've heard from so many people is they write for a little bit, they blog for a little bit, and they just want to get paid. And they're looking for money, and they're oh, like, look no. at all the work I'm putting in, I'm not getting paid. That is the wrong attitude. It's the absolute wrong attitude if you work hard, nose to the grindstone, people will find you. I mean, Silva just reaching out saying, Hey, I like your work. It means that people are reading your stuff. And if you put it out and you create good content, you engage. That's basically what I hear from you is that good things will happen. Oh yeah. It's never like money's nice. Don't get me wrong. And now I, I practically won't do anything unless
1: I get paid for it, unless it's like a friend or someone like you, Mike, who I know is doing good work. Then of course I want to come on. Uh, and it's not just to like get more status for myself. I literally just want to talk football with my friends. That's my passion, which would be another tip I'd tell everyone that if you don't have passion for it or curiosity, literally say no. Uh, I don't do anything if I don't want to do it. And that's helped me out so much because then it allows me to show all my effort and energy when I do something, even if I'm not good at it, um, I want to do it. And thus it makes me better at it because I have more passion than others doing it. So definitely don't take on anything you don't want to do. If you're just looking to try to get paid, journalism in general is probably the worst path you could take. Because uh, again, like the, the waters are full of sharks. Like it's such a big competition pool that of course it's hard. Mark Cuban was asked, I think at a Sloan conference one time, a couple couple people showed up, you know, it was people trying to break in, asked how they like asked him, uh, hey, like i just have tips if I want to start writing for you. And then his answer was don't do it. And that was a, it was a joke. But also he was dead serious because like I think of how many people want to do this for a living, which also keeps me motivated every day because I still have to you know, fight everyone off. I still have to be unique and stay at the top somehow or not at the top, but at my own position. So like really the answer is, I mean, unless you are willing to go through the grind, it probably is honestly the worst strategy to try to do this.
0: Yeah, I agree. You have to have the passion. The passion will drive you. There'll be ups and downs. You'll get some picks right, get some things wrong. You know, you got to just keep working through it and leaving out. I, I I think it's the best answer we've had to this question when I've asked it. I, I totally agree with everything you're saying.
1: And, and and I could say it because I'm the one who fully experienced it. Like I was the one getting paid absolutely nothing. And I mean, not to extend the story, but there are so many things I could go on and on if we ever had like wine together one evening. Like uh, like I worked. And this has been a big discussion between Matthew Berry, Jonathan Bells, a lot of important people on Twitter saying, should you work for free? And the answer is typically it's subjective. It goes back to what you're trying to get done. Um, Most likely, I think you should. But I will say I even took on – I was the audio producer of the MMQB podcast between Robert Mays, Andy Benoit, and Robert Klimko. That's Uh... it. Also Robert Klemko. Yep. Yes. Um, so I was the audio producer all because they put out a call. They needed a producer. I didn't ask for anything. I was just like, Hey, can I, can I throw Andy Benoit? Like can I throw your name on my resume or samples that I thought I'd need. You don't need it all by the way. Um, and, and yeah, that's, that's what I did. Eventually I had to get removed from that position because they got bought out. By a big podcast company, Panoply. And the president called me because he was like, everyone's sending me to this John Daigle guy. You need to tell me, like, who the hell is John Daigle? And then he understood I was just a grinder trying to make it in the world. And um, he loved me for it, but also I wasn't an employee of his company. So he had to ditch me. No big deal, no hard feelings. But I'm just telling you, like, that's one of the things I did, just trying to get many hats and make
0: myself useful in the world, was doing everything. Totally agree. The reason that I am fortunate enough to host this podcast is because Colm Kelly needed help editing pods a few years ago. So I came aboard for free. I just learned how to edit. He's the master. He's helped me through things, did some work for him, and all of a sudden an opportunity came up. So I, I, that is that. Is it. I, I I will cheer you with a glass of wine later tonight, my friend, because that is great advice to anyone out there and it should get people motivated for sure. Colm Kelly
1: and... Uh... The great Sean Siegel, of course, I also listened to their off-season pods yep. about
0: strategic drafting. I think those are some of also the best off-season pods as well to listen to. A hundred percent. Sean and Colm, Overtime Ireland. It's incredible. Absolutely. Well, the, the lead here for fantasy football is the PED test heard around the world, right? Will Fuller suspended six games. That's the rest of this year and one next year for the PED violation. Is this why he stayed healthy, John? And how do you handicap the Texans' target share rest of season i'm asking that because they don't have a great schedule here colts twice and at chicago it's funny like you know i don't i don't think that's why he stayed healthy i would like this to <laughs> too right right rhetorical that's, yeah, yeah
1: that's that's not why stayed healthy but then again maybe it was who knows um i will say in terms of their target share though it's i agree with consensus that i think kiki qt has the highest floor um and he's played the highest snap rate in place of randall cobb because that's what's that's what's awkward about this timing is that it's not only Fuller, but it's also Randall Cobb who does an end reserve. And then, of course, they removed Kenny Stills by waiving him. So between Cobb and Fuller in general, that's 11.6 targets per game that are now vacated. Uh, and I, But the thing is, as a typical underneath slot guy, I also do, don't think QT has the sexy ceiling like we should be prioritizing. I don't think he's a league winner. I don't think he's a double-digit target hog. Um, so I don't mind losing him on waivers for the fantasy playoffs, admittedly. Right. Who I think Good the point. sneaky winner in, in all of this is Jordan Akins Because yes. unlike QT... Jordan Akins, yes. Jordan yes. Akins plays a position that allows us the opportunity cost to get away with starting him, even if he is bad and doesn't take up some of these targets. Like it's tied end. Unless you have Travis Kelsey or Darren Waller, it doesn't matter anyways. So why not risk Akins every week, who should see some of these targets as this offense probably gets worse, honestly, because remember Deshaun Watson, 8.7 yards per attempt, and then you go 18 career games without Fuller. Uh, and it's 7.2 yards per attempt. And he had DeAndre Hopkins previously in those games. So what happens to the offense now without Hopkins and Fuller there? And, I, yeah, so I think it's more Akins, whose box score would have looked better also on Thanksgiving had he not dropped the two or been slightly overthrown in his two end zone targets. So that's the guy I'm prioritizing. And then in deeper leagues, I guess uh, you can look to Isaiah Coulter. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. hmm Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. – He's an interesting prospect. I had to watch a lot of film on him. I was in charge of, along with Hayden Winks, the draft blurb for Roto-Roll this past offseason and plays the Silva. I will be again this upcoming season. Um, and he's interesting because he was good as a true junior, 1,000 yards, eight touchdowns. But again, that was at Rhode Island against small school competition, which also forced us to over-evaluate, or not not all of us, because I was kind of down on him, but over-evaluate Antonio Gandy-Golden's numbers, because again, that came against small school competition. But Colter did actually play four games against FBS competition, and in those, he had nine for 152 against Virginia Tech, two for 53 and a touchdown against Ohio and then, or three games, I should say, and then 10-156 and one against UConn. So of course not the greatest college football teams, but still big time D one schools. And so I think that makes him, although he's somewhat slow for a boundary receiver, certainly not Will Fuller. I think he has an interesting like 14 team play.
0: Yeah. You and Hayden do that great job on the YouTube NBC sports, YouTube. You put it out there for DFS plays on Friday, which is fantastic. And the Jordan Akins call is tremendous. Now, John, I may or may not have had a wager prop wager on Jordan Aikens over receiving yards on Thanksgiving. So I was about to say, you know, Aikens really had a, a good shot there. He dropped the one in the end zone. Could have easily, John, if I had a wager, that is caught the hit the over on the prop on that one catch. But yes, oh. I think he's a sneaky guy. He's been very efficient in that offense and those targets are going to go somewhere. Right.
1: Yeah. And, uh, the thing about Akins also is that, so the one in the second ends on target he received was overthrown. That was on Watson, but the first one was admittedly on him. Again, he's a young player. He's been injured. So he doesn't have too many reps as well throughout his career. Uh, but the first one was on target by Watson rather than going up for the ball though. Akins let it fall in his lap, or at least thought he would let it fall in his lap. And of course, the defender broke it up. So hopefully that's also a learning tool for him. And the next one, he actually uses his big body to go up and get, making it better for fantasy players, of course, as well.
0: 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical, indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account anytime and there are no long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. I'm Dave Cabin, host of the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Podcast. I wanted to take a moment to thank you for supporting Rotoviz Radio.
1: We love producing these shows and we hope that you love listening to them. As a thank you, Royal Podcast listeners can get 10% off of a one-year Rotoviz subscription by using the promo code 2020RVRADIO at checkout. We have some of the very best tools, articles, and analysts in the business, and can't wait to lead you on the path to greatness. If you haven't done so yet, do us a favor and take a minute to rate and review this podcast. Thanks again for listening. Now let's get into
0: the show. finding fantasy value. The key is making those big waiver moves and starting the right lineup. So I want to get your opinion on some players that could go one way or another. They may be available on the waiver wire or they may be someone who you have on your bench and people are trying to figure out here for seasonal. Colts rookie wide receiver, Michael Pittman. Big week, bad week, big week, bad week. What do you think about Pittman here with the Colts, with Rivers going down the stretch here? T.Y. Hilton actually came out of the coffin last week. What do you think about the rookie here? There was no...
1: Uh, easier production, I guess I should say, or no standout production that made me just turn the other way and say, yeah, I know I can ignore that. Than T Y Hilton's this past week, like yeah. all of it came in the second half, literally all of his targets catches and touchdown came in the second half when the team trailed 35 to 14. So he's still not a factor. And we're still not worried about him taking away from Michael Pittman, who again, led all of Indy's wideouts with nine targets this past week against the Titans. And, Yes, as you said, bad, good, bad, good, or whatever, vice versa. But the fact is, in that four-month span or four-game span, Pittman has still led the team in routes run in that stretch. So he's still the guy, even against the Titans, led the team in routes run. He's still on the field basically every snap with Phillip Rivers. So he's still the guy I'm chasing off waiver wires.
0: You know, the Chiefs obviously are clicking on all cylinders. There's Kelsey. Tyreek Hill exploded last week over 200 yards in the first quarter. But I'm trying to find like a wide receiver three, maybe a wide receiver three, four play here. Sammy Watkins or Demarcus Robinson, I, I, any choice here, any interest in them for somebody who may have wide receiver injuries or may have lost Fuller? Is there, is there a play here? Because they have a good schedule coming down the stretch here for wide receivers. Watkins had one more
1: target than Robinson on three fewer routes run. And remember, that was his first game back since, I believe, week five. So that tells me that he was, in his first game back, he nearly played as much as Demarcus Robinson. Thus, with an increased workload, that's what I assume anyways, moving forward, he will play more. And Watkins is also more interchangeable than Robinson. presumably keeping him on the field more. Watkins has played 164 snaps out wide this year, although he's the team's primary slot guy, whereas Robinson has only been moved to the slot on 81 snaps all season, so half the time. So when it comes to even two wide sets, it is clearly Watkins over Robinson when when Watkins is at full health. Also remember, over the past month, this team is throwing the ball not only at the league's highest pass play rate overall, but the highest pass play rate when they have a lead, which is so sexy. When you, when you, all you do is say, Oh, we're gonna give the ball to Mahomes when we have a lead as well. That's amazing. So, you want all these guys, but for all the reasons mentioned, I think Watkins is the one that's going to be on the field more and thus is
0: more useful down the stretch. I want a fantasy title with Cedric Benson, John. So, I have this love nice. for plotters, and I and I feel like sometimes they go overlooked. Damian Harris not catching passes, late had a couple recently. Sony Michelle comes back. James White pops a couple weeks ago has two touchdowns. Any love here for Damian Harris in what obviously is going to be a run centric offense with the Patriots? Always get better at the end of the season. You think he can be a, a flex play here, even though he's not catching passes? I do. I, I know everyone looks at the
1: box score and sees white's two touchdowns which were kind of crazy and even I that Sunday thought oh white is clearly the the main beneficiary here without Rex Burkhead but Harris actually ran seven routes to white's eight like that's the most passing game usage even he's seen all year long so what happened quietly behind the scenes if we peek under the hood it's that Harris took on Rex Burkhead's receiving role and then also got his early down carries so his role actually quietly expanded. So I do actually think that Harris is a bit of a sneaky winner here down the stretch. Of course, White will still be used in negative game scripts. So you're going to have to get pre- predict your game scripts correct when it comes to starting Patriots players. But I do think Harris's role, yes, actually got better, although it didn't look that way in the box score.
0: I have a question here from a Dolphins fan who obviously is ecstatic about the season. Wants to know your thoughts on Fitz versus Tua. The question is, who's going to start And if Fitz starts in a DFS world, is Parker an automatic stack? So I I think it's curious. They're two very different guys. Fitz, after week one, has been extremely productive, but they've gone with Tua. We know the reasons why. Fitz came in, did a nice job last week. So what do you think about the Dolphins QB situation? And if it is Fitz, how do you value Parker and DFS? So Tua, we got four starts for him.
1: And remember, that league average, yards per play, is 5.3 right now. And in those four starts, the Dolphins averaged Three yards per play, 5.6, slightly above league average, of course, then 4.9 and 3.6. The offense just wasn't moving. And yes, of course, they lost Preston Williams in that stretch, but then you saw Ron Fitzpatrick come on, and it was against the Jets. I understand that. But they, through three quarters, they asked him to throw. 34 pass attempts to 10 running back carries basically for getting their backfield all together because they entrusted Fitzpatrick also because Gaskin and Saban Ahmed were out, but because they were trusting Fitzpatrick to move the ball and he did just that even without Preston Williams. I think Fitzpatrick this year anyways is clearly the, the, the shinier toy. I think he's the better overall player this year. So I want them to continue starting Fitzpatrick. Having said that, are the rookie developmental reps for Tua important? Sure, yes, but even the four starts for this year anyways uh, makes me somewhat turned off by Tua, for this year and then we should give him an actual true offseason with a full camp because remember he was injured as well in camp uh yep. with the full yep. preseason as well and that will certainly help him because obviously I haven't lost faith in Tua It's just has been substantially better for this offense when Fitzpatrick has been under center
0: well you listen to the mailbag so you know the breakfast question is coming what is the breakfast of choice in the Daigle household and of course shout out to Jake Sealy. do we have cereal and if so what's our choice Unfortunately, Sealy, a big
1: fan of, by the way, good friend as well. Also, he'll be on, uh, shameless plug, he'll be on the the Roto-World DFS Building Block show this coming Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern. (laughs) Looking forward to talking with him again. But not a serial guy. Not even in the slightest, actually. Not a serial person whatsoever. I am a big either or Greek yogurt With uh, oats or granola and a little bit of honey and fruit, honestly. Big fan of that. Also, like four to six eggs kind of guy.
0: I love eggs strong guy, healthy guy. You're going to live longer than all of us. That is a great answer. Absolutely. As much as the golden grams and the, uh, the, the, the honey smacks that we've talked about I, as well. And if, I just, I love it, but, uh, you know, certainly you gave a better answer for our future. Oh, I, I don't cereal shame people. Like we all like what we like. No big deal. <laughs> I'm just, I'm much more of an
1: egg kind of guy. Like I need a hearty breakfast. Cereal just doesn't cut it for me.
0: Well, if you need a hearty breakfast, my question is, do you need a hearty backfield? And if so, is there anyone in Atlanta that's worth it here? I've been a Brian Hill guy. I remember reading in the offseason that the Falcons players were disappointed that Brian Hill didn't get a chance to steal that number one job when Gurley came in. Well, he's had his chance now, John, one time last year and this year, and he's flopped. Ito Smith actually outproduced him. Atlanta backfield here, I mean, obviously Gurley, but if Gurley's out, this lingers. Do you have a choice? So I think we do. Ito Smith out touched
1: Hill actually 16 to 13 and got the backfield's only two touches inside the 10 yard line. But again, let's go behind the curtains. And Hill actually ran more routes 17 to 15 than Ito and actually out touched Smith 13 to 6, three three quarters. That's when Ito Smith came on the field in the final 15 minutes when it was strictly garbage time and got 10 of his 16 touches. Actually out touched Brian Hill 10 to 1 in that stretch. So I think everyone's chasing the wrong player. Edo Smith was only involved whenever it was garbage time. And they were up by four scores. Um, the, otherwise, it was Brian Hill getting a majority of the backfield touches. The issue is that, first of all, we have to see if Todd Gurley's going to come back. And second of all, the Saints defense uh, hasn't been susceptible to anything over last month. But also, they haven't allowed a 100-yard rusher on the ground since 2017. Yep. So it's also a just a terrible matchup for Brian Hill overall. You're hoping for the passing game usage. Having said that, he would get the passing game usage again, like, like I just mentioned, he is the preferred back over Edel Smith because that's how he was used before game script got the better
0: of him in the fourth quarter. Josh Hermsmeyer over to Establish the Run, of course, started this argument I think a year or two ago. How much does defense matter when you're looking at fantasy production? Either in seasonal, you're setting your lineups – or in DFS, where do you fall on that argument? And and what do you do as we get ready for the fantasy playoffs here? Of course, I think it matters. It matters to a certain extent.
1: I I believe in stashing good defenses. Let's say Rams, Colts. Uh, Man, the Titans have a good playoff schedule as well for the fantasy. The thing is, the Titans don't have any playmakers on defense either. They're just all banged up right now. So you can't really stash them. Uh, Having said that, I think we spend far too much time Making decisions. This is probably everything in life, honestly. Making decisions that the outcome doesn't matter either way. Like uh, I do yep. a Tuesday waivers Q and A chat, and you know everyone. I respect all questions, and I explain this. So they're asking this because they respect my opinion on it as well. But I get asked, let's say this past week, like the Packers against Trubisky, clearly a good matchup, or the Browns against Mike Glennon, clearly a good matchup, or let's say Seahawks versus Carson Wentz or Packers, and. I just tell them like yes, the answer is yes to all of them, and you're going to waste minutes of your life trying to make that minute decision. It's like it's like rankings or drafts in the off season. Like how much time do we do we argue about the RB six or seven overall? When in the end, it's incremental right. points that just don't matter at the end of the day. So yeah. for those discussions, not only do I just let Twitter have it and I don't get involved whatsoever, but again, don't waste your minutes on that. Go outside and do something. Um, it just It's not going to make you lose your matchup at the end of the day, so it just doesn't matter. So I, I typically, I think you should go to the self-explanatory streamers on defense every week, but sifting between them, don't waste your time on it honestly. It's it just, it's not going to, the outcome just doesn't matter.
0: Yeah. Bales talked about that recently in one of his articles about spending too much time on decisions that in essence don't matter. Like if it ends up being an insignificant decision and you're going to flip a coin anyway, well, you'll flip some right, you'll flip some wrong, but save the, uh, what do you want to say? Mental acumen, right? For the big decisions that do matter. You said it much more eloquently than me. Yes. Favorite band or group to listen to. What's John Daigle's go-to? You can give me the pump up music. You can give me the relaxation music, whatever you want to do here.
1: This is going to be odd. I think people have hot takes on this. I am actually a podcast guy when I work out, Uh, which is funny also because now I attribute like some voices in my head to moments in life. Like I'll never forget, I was listening to a uh, DraftKings, oh, what was that podcast called between Adam? So Levitan used to do his solo pods on the DraftKings brand. And I'll never forget, I was listening to a solo pod where he talked about like how bad Larry Fitzgerald has been. Of course he he did that age brand. Um, while I was running over the London Bridge. Or like getting stuck in a wow. get, getting stuck in the, a French airport trying to make a flight running through, and it's Levitan and Silva bantering with one another. Or uh uh, let's see, like I, I was running over a New Zealand. I go running when I travel, if you couldn't tell. Um yeah. I, I was running over a bridge in Auckland, New Zealand, like downtown. And it was a Calm and Sean Siegel podcast last off season. I believe it was the one with beers last off season. They do where he like does a two episode. The two episode. Yeah. One, yeah. Of course, so, yes. so when they released that last year, I was traveling Auckland, New Zealand and I was running over a bridge at that time. So like all of these guys slash friends in my life, like now I attribute to voices like moments in my life when I travel, which clearly this year, not much traveling. Um, just Silva's voice in the basement living with him. But other than that, yeah, I'm, I'm a big <laughs> podcast guy, whether it be investing podcast, uh, perhaps running podcast while running, football, whatever the case, that's how I get my information, especially in season, because there's too much content to churn. Um, if I'm only listening to podcasts during downtime, there's just no downtime.
0: I was running also with the beers column, Sean Siegel pod. Totally remember it. That's a great, great call. Absolutely. Because I remember listening to see how great it was. When I got back from running, I I texted him. Uh, The young QBs at a crossroad here, John. What have you seen for me? Just curious. Dynasty value moving forward. Daniel Jones. What do we got here? Last year, a lot of turnovers, but some big boom weeks. This year, a lot of turnovers, no big boom weeks. What do you think here about Daniel Jones long-term? I don't blame Daniel Jones for this whatsoever.
1: Recall from week eight on last year, he was the QB5 overall in fantasy during that stretch with four games of at least 30 fantasy points. That's a that's a 12-start span, four games, 30 fantasy points, whereas this year he's only reached 20 points twice, and he has yet to exceed 23 points in any game. And I just blame Jason Garrett in an o- and uh, Joe Judge in an offense that we knew was probably going to be bad. Um, Daniel Jones, of course, has been accurate under pressure as well. He hasn't been running, although the past like, month he has been
0: running more, actually, which has made him much better. And John, maybe that explains why in a close game against the Bengals, they had to have Jason Garrett in the fourth quarter called a Colt McCoy run, designed run on a sweep. I mean, just bizarre play calling from Garrett. C- crazy, crazy.
1: So unfortunately, even... In opportune times to roster like a cheap quarterback like Daniel Jones and DFS, it just hasn't paid off this year because the offense is a prehistoric one. Um, and again, like I said, they're finally using Evan Ingram right. They're doing a lot of things right, finally. But overall, uh, I'm worried about Daniel Jones if he's tied to Jason Garrett another like two years. If he escapes, though, then I think we can have more faith in him.
0: I have a feeling this is the Mitchell Trubisky week. I just have that feeling, you know, the six touchdown week from two years ago or last year against the Cowboys late in the year, had the three touchdowns and then one rushing in 60 yards. Obviously, where are they going with this? I do feel, I think I had Mike Tagliere on earlier this year, and he's tied into the Bears and said he felt Ryan Pace brought in Nick Foles because he wanted to appease the fans that he brought someone in but he wanted to be someone that Trubisky could beat out, which of course he did, not Foles ended up going in because of injury Trubisky is. Is there a future here in Chicago? I don't think so. (laughs) I don't think so at all.
1: Maybe on Sunday. I mean, we might get to that here in a little bit, but we've seen enough from Trubisky, right? Uh, He got benched, and his leash, I think, was shorter than it should have been to open the season. It was very clear, any mistake whatsoever. They wanted to give Nick Foles a shot. And then Nick Foles was honestly worse than Trubisky. He threw downfield a lot, but his prayer yards did not matter for Darnell Mooney and Allen Robinson. He was just bad at throwing the ball downfield, but kept on doing it. Whereas Trubisky now we've seen has taken 10 sacks this this year. He's thrown five picks, but at least he's throwing touchdowns at a high rate. Uh, They're coming at garbage time, of course, and he's not running the ball, but he's still throwing touchdowns. So I think he should start the rest of the year but have we seen enough to like believe in him moving forward or believe he's going to stick with the Bears? I would say no to both.
0: Is Sam Darnold going to ever escape Adam Gase? And if he does, will he be successful?
1: Oddly enough, I think Sam Darnold's going to escape Gase this offseason, uh, where it yep. could because not only because Gase will be fired, but because they're going to trade Sam Darnold because they'll get Trevor Lawrence, and so they don't have to worry about Darnold at that time. I'm not giving up on Sam Darnold though. Nothing he's done this year. Don't get me wrong. Nothing he has done this year outside of maybe that one scramble to the right. I'm recalling this off the top of my head where he threw to Braxton Barrios against the Broncos on Thursday night. Yes. Like he, he was yeah, a yeah. little playmaker magician and that's what he was doing his rookie year. His rookie year. I understand was without Gase, but, the, the brightest part of his whole career had been that month when he returned from injury in his rookie year, and he was just playing loose. Uh, they were letting him do whatever he wanted. And now, of course, he's been handcuffed in Gase's offense. And this offense has oddly looked the best, not only with Joe Flacco under center, but with Dow Loggins calling plays. So I just still keep thinking of that rookie year where he did enough. That we should believe in him and give him another chance. Whether maybe it's with the Patriots next year, since Cam Newton's on a one-year deal, maybe you even go back up Ben Roethlisberger, get some get some developmental mental reps here going on. Uh, maybe you go to the Saints, honestly, and compete there. Since Taysom Mill is thirty years old, like he's not the quarterback of the future. So mm-hmm. I still definitely believe in Darnold because this isn't a Josh Rosen situation. We were we were pretty clearly out on him after his rookie year. I think Darnold still has enough in the tank where he should get at least one more shot as a starter away
0: from Gase. Well, it's a perfect segue into Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill obviously has been successful. You have Sean Payton bragging about it on social media, but I'm curious about his effect on two players here moving forward. First off is Emmanuel Sanders dead. Michael Thomas did have over hundred yards against the Falcons, but Sanders as a second receiving option for a quarterback who doesn't have experience throwing is questionable. And of course, I got to ask you, John, what's up with Alvin Kamara? No catches two weeks ago. I think last week was one, although it was Denver. So I don't know if we can really count it, but are we waiting for breeze to come back? I have a feeling, man. Why would you rush drew breeze back if they're winning? I mean, it's seven ribs, 11 crack ribs, whatever he had. I don't know if they're going to rush him back, so it's possible Taysom Hill could be here for a while, I think. Curious about your thoughts on him and Sanders and Kamara specifically. Sean Payton now also 7-0 with a backup the past
1: two years. Just one of the, one of the best play callers in the entire league. So let's start with Alvin Kamara because, quite frankly, the past two weeks his share of backfield touches have plummeted. And remember, two weeks ago he did mix in that odd Wednesday and Thursday DMP with a foot injury told media on Friday, he'll be fine. And he was removed from the injury report, but he was out touched and out snapped by Latavius Murray. So we just counted that as a one-off, no big deal. But now you see two games in a row here. Kamara's share of backfield touches has been 48% and 34%, whereas Murray's in that span, 52% and 57%. Not only growing, but just out touching Kamara outright in both weeks. So I do wonder if that's the case, because if that is the case, as you'll see there, uh, And you mentioned their upcoming schedule is amazing, and that was supposed to be amazing for Kamara, but it looks like it's going to sneakily be amazing for Latavius Murray. Uh, And at that same time, it's crazy that Taysom Hill has locked on to Michael Thomas on 18 of his 39 pass attempts, a 46% target share, whereas Kamara is just sitting here with negative two receiving yards in the past two games from Hill. So is it a disaster? Yes. But as I also said in my chat, imagine benching Camara. Like I don't have the balls to do it. Do you? Like, no way. There's no way. There's no way. So all we can do is go on our friend's podcast and complain about it, but there's no way, <laughs> there's no way in hell I'm benching him. I'm not doing it. So I'd rather go down with a sinking ship than I would get away from that sinking ship.
0: Next week, a lot of the fantasy playoffs start week thirteen. This week on a bio, the Buccaneers and the Panthers. Want to look at some Super Bowl contenders? Three teams here, and they have clusters of wide receivers. And of course, you're going to tell us exactly who is going to be the best performer Supposedly. during the fantasy playoffs. So let's start with Tampa Bay. A B's there. I thought Mike Evans was going to suffer, Johnny's not. Godwin, what do you think they're moving forward? Yeah. So. Uh, Evans was
1: suffering with Chris Godwin in the lineup. Remember, the first half of this year, all we ever had were Godwin Evans splits and Godwin just out targeting Evans weekly. Then Antonio Brown joins, and suddenly Evans separates immensely from both. And they played four get- two games together now, all three wideouts. And Evans has 10 red zone targets and six end zone targets. So 16 green zone looks total. Whereas AB and Godwin have combined for two. Not even a single end zone target in those four games, just one red zone target each. So it's very clear not only who Brady's going to, but who Brady's going to in the most important part of the field for fantasy football, the red zone. And that has been the case. It's either been a Gronk fade, an Evans fade, or Jones or Fournette up the middle, depending how Arians is feeling that day. So Evans is clearly the guy you want. And then I'm banking on Antonio Brown to separate himself from Godwin. But again, that's just a, a slight educated guess that could go wrong. They're probably closer to a tie than they are figuring out which one is
0: the number two wideout on the team. Well, as we're taping here, we have Pittsburgh and Baltimore going on in the background. Pittsburgh now up 19 to 7. Wide receivers, Juju, Chase Claypool, Deontay Johnson. What do you think?
1: I'm saying this without knowing the box score at all, uh, having but. It's been very clear that they want to feature Deontay Johnson for more targets, peppering the you know elite kick returner, as he was in college as well, underneath and letting him work in that way. They get Chase Claypool involved downfield, so he has the highest ceiling. And then Juju still hangs around on a weekly safe amount of targets, which is great considering the first month was no targets pretty much. So honestly, the answer is all of them, but I think Deontay has the highest floor, Chase Claypool has the highest ceiling, and Juju just continues hanging around. And remember, I'm not counting this game going on Wednesday because we don't know just yet, but I would imagine when I look at the box score, there is a vast number, and maybe you can tell me right now, uh, there's a vast number of pass attempts to minimal running back carries. Because the past three games before this Ravens one, Routzberger had 42, 46, and 46 pass attempts because they've been operating at the fifth-highest pass play rate with a lead in that time. They build leads with a pass now and then they uh, uh save that lead with the pass as well. They've become a non-James Conner team, which has been great for their three
0: wideouts. Yeah, they got 13 rushes, 27 pass attempts yep. right now. That's over 2-1. to one. Benny Snell, 10 for 32, nothing much on the ground. The receivers, of course... Claypool, four catches, 41 yards. Deontay, six catches, 38 yards. Juju has six catches, 27 yards, but he has the touchdown. It's Eric Ebron day today, John. Seven catches, 54 yards leading the team. But spot spot on there with the passes. It's, It's more than two to one right now. Yeah, as expected. Like I said, that's the way it's been the last three games. So now we'll
1: cite that stat moving forward. That's the way it's been the past month. They were a running team initially. I don't know if they're saving James Conner or what they're trying to do because oddly enough, in that three-game span, James Conner was actually a bell cow. Like, they were very minimally getting Benny Snell involved on the goal line only and then maybe sprinkling McFarlane if he wasn't healthy scratched. But – Bell cows don't matter in fantasy football when they're only getting 13 carries. Like, who cares if you're a bell cow if you're only getting 13 touches a game? Uh, this is a passing offense
0: down the stretch, which is great for us for the fantasy playoffs. And last wide receiver group, I want to talk to you about. The Bills have a tough schedule for running backs coming up. San Francisco, New England is in a cakewalk. Pittsburgh, they have a rough group coming up. So I'm curious here about the receivers. John Brown on the IR. Gabe Davis, any interest? Interest for sure, but I still think Cole Beasley's the play here, despite
1: his most recent performance on with two catches, six targets, because now we have three full games that John Brown hasn't played. A small sample size, sure. But what we've seen is Stefan Diggs averaged 12 targets per game in those three contests. Cole Beasley averaged 7.3, and then Gabe Davis averaged 5.2. And of course, for Davis's touchdown this past week, it was Beasley actually who was giving it to him. So those numbers are slightly skewed anyhow. Having said that, Davis was the one who continues making plays any chance he gets. He did play 97% of the snaps because this team still plays four wide receivers at the league's highest rate, just letting Josh Allen command and engineer the offense. And Gabe Davis keeps making spectacular plays. He even had a big 44-yard grab and man coverage that he leaped over his cornerback this past week. So Davis involved for a team still passing the ball at a high rate, but he's the third option, in my opinion, on this team. So I still go Diggs, Beasley, and Davis, but Davis, at least a flex option for 12-team leagues now that Brown is out of the way on injured reserve.
0: The big question here, thank a teacher time. Who's the one in your K-12 years that had a positive effect on you? I've gotten a lot of people saying they were knuckleheads and somebody stuck with them. I've got a lot of math teachers, of course, because of the comparison of fantasy football. Who do you want to thank here, John? Oh, so K-12. I don't know if I can cheat and use
1: college, but K-12. You use college, I, mean, you? Uh, I actually have three. I'll make it really quick. Um, K-12 is my mother who taught at my school, actually. Uh, terrific math oh, teacher. Excellent. Yeah. Math teacher who got through to everyone except me, pretty much. I would ditch her class because you can't have your mother teach her, your son. You. <laughs> right.
0: You're going to try
1: to take of advantage of the situation, which I did. Uh, so she would hunt me down in the students' lounge and find me and then like grab me by the ear with her nails and drag me back. So yeah, my mother, who has righted the ship, fortunately. And then uh, college were the ones that actually shaped me because I had a history teacher, Lori Roberts' dad, who I believe is retired now, also. Uh, follows me on Twitter, oddly enough, follows my career. She was always a big fan of me, but she taught me that, which I should have known by college or maybe college is the time you learn to use this, but she taught me that clearly uh, we can look up and see that people are good at things, but we might not be good at those things. And so um, it takes us, it takes some person, somebody working harder at something than it does the than someone else working hard at it because it just comes more naturally. And that was me in history. Like I'm interested in history, but unless it's, uh, Unless it's hardcore history, a four hour podcast episode, I'm just, it doesn't stick to my brain like routes run. Like I could do everything off the top of my head when it comes to football numbers when I look at them Monday morning. But for history, dude, it just, it bounces off my brain. It's always been that way for some reason, no matter what. So I would have to like go back and double highlight chapters and just put a lot more effort in. And she's kind of the one who walked me through that stage. So thankful to her. And then, of course, Mr. Prim at the same college, my English teacher, because he kept me afterwards, my first year in college. He kept, He just said, uh, Daigle, stay after class if you can, after we turned, <laughs> turned in a story. And I was like, oh, great. He's going to yell at me like, this sucks. I probably bombed the paper. And he actually like pulled me to the side and said, hey, have you ever thought about being a writer? Because like this is awesome. And uh, so he kind of invo- invoked the energy to continue down that path of short stories and writing and yada yada. So I would say he sparked my uh, creative writing. So thankful for them.
0: Oh, excellent. Excellent call across the board there. Very nice. Time for a redraft lightning round. Give me the better seasonal play in week 13. I'll give you two names you pick. Better RB2, Kareem Hunt did not get the red zone touches because I guess Nick Chubb found his contact there on this, this past week. He's at Tennessee, or dare I mention David Montgomery versus the Lions, John? Both good matchups,
1: which still makes me lean to Kareem Hunt. Could be biased for Montgomery, honestly. But we now have six full games where Chubb and Hunt have played together, and Chubb is the RB5 in those contests, whereas Kareem Hunt has been the RB13, so a fringe RB1 still getting passing down work. Montgomery did encourage Lee to handle 100% of the RB touches in his return, uh, and then he out-touched Patterson um, on everyone except Patterson had two touches. And by the way, like, Patterson getting touches is a win for the defense because he's doing absolutely nothing with them. And I don't, Zero. I don't even blame yeah. the player. I blame that they have one play for him, and that is to sweep him out into the flats, give him a ball on the run, and then he just gets tackled at the line of scrimmage every single time he gets the ball. But either way, he's doing nothing with them. I think we are over, like we're misconstruing Montgomery's results in that game. Whereas he still had just nine carries. So I, I don't really want to chase the production of Montgomery because even a blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then.
0: Better are being a tougher matchup. Wayne Gallman now out in Seattle without Daniel Jones or Kenyon Drake against the Ram stiff defense.
1: It is Wayne Gallman for me, even with Colt McCoy, most likely wow. under center. That's a good. Yeah. And I also think We'll probably talk about this a little later, but I also don't think it's a Kenyon Drake game script. Uh, Cardinals hung around on with running the ball against the Patriots, eventually lost, but hung around. But Chase Edmonds still played a season-high number of snaps from wide receiver out wide. Uh, and this seems like more of a game that the Cardinals could be behind, a terrific defense, obviously, whereas the Patriots are one of the worst defenses in the entire league. It's surprising to say that, but all the numbers and performances back it up. Uh, and so I think it's more of, but every game for the Giants, is a Wayne Gauman game script because, yes, he is surviving as a RB1 because of his touchdowns, but you look at the touch counts and in every single start for Devontae Freeman, they have progressively increased 13, 15, 19, and then a season-high 27 this past week where they finally just fed on the ball, including five targets. So whether it's positive game script, if the Giants hang around against the Seahawks, I don't think they will, but if they hang around – or negative, it seems, it looks like Gallman's going to get the rock no matter what.
0: Better tight end spot here. Mike Gesecky versus the Bengals, don't know about QB. Kyle Rudolph versus the Jaguars, don't know about Irv Smith.
1: And so it comes down to Irv Smith, honestly. I know we don't I don't want to leave myself an out. I need to have a hard take, but if Irv Smith is out, clearly Rudolph is the the good player. He has run a 77% He's run a route. Let's rephrase that. He's run around on 77% of Kirk Cousins' dropbacks and his two-spot starts for Irv Smith. Pretty much been nearly an every-down player in the passing game whenever Irv Smith has been out. So if Smith is out, definitely Rudolph. If not, Jasicki. The frustrating part about Jasicki, and I almost rostered him in DFS this past week uh, as a double stack with Fitzpatrick, and I, I wrote a, like a just this one week only. There was so much Saturday news, and it was a crazy short week on Thanksgiving. I thought, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll drop in for a DFS summary for Saturday to replace the Building Blocks Friday show that we moved to Wednesday for the Thanksgiving slate. And I did talk about how it was a unique slate and that the cheap options were playable and, and were leverage. And so I nearly rostered Jasicki. But then you look up and you think Jasicki has the touchdowns, but no, it's actually one of their two other touchdowns who look or tight ends that look just like him. Mm-hmm. And Durham Smythe and Adam Shaheen because like they get these guys involved inside the 10-yard line. So Jasicki clearly has the higher ceiling, but the fact is they have two other tight ends they keep on using. So I'm going Rudolph definitely if Earth Smith sits. Otherwise, Jasicki.
0: And pick a wide receiver, Debo Samuel, and those negative air yards, but massive yards after catcher. Good old Bobby Woods, Bobby Trees. Wide receiver roulette because you never know who's going to pop with him and cup and now Josh Reynolds of course an issue at Arizona and we have two games now
1: where Andrew Whitworth has been out and thus the average at the target have dropped for the Rams receivers as they are as Jared Goff is literally dropping back and getting the rid of the ball at the quickest rate in the league. Or maybe just behind Rossburg. I guess it depends where these numbers come in for the Steelers-Ravens today. But in that span, we have still seen Robert Woods, two games, have 27 targets, to Cooper Cubs, 18, and Josh Reynolds, 12. So the others have pretty much fallen off, honestly. So I'm actually picking Robert Woods, again, because I think it's going to be a favorable game script where the Rams can attack the Cardinals defense, which has been slightly overrated because they have not been good whenever they've played competent competition under
0: center. I love Memento 7, Get Out, of course. Give me a favorite movie you have, preferably one with a suspenseful ending or a twist.
1: I actually had two of my favorite movie experiences in my entire life the last calendar year. So you can tell me if you've seen these. One was Knives Out. No, I haven't seen that Oh, you you got to. Imagine Imagine playing Clue with your family, but the board game comes to life. It's it's so, it's so just a fun movie. You can relax and watch. The acting's terrific. The comedy's well done. It's dark humor. Um, it's very, very good. So Knives Out is a good one. It's a, more of a suspenseful mystery murder, and I don't want to give anything away. But I actually pressed play not knowing anything about it. I just heard that it's good. And so I think it's more fun if I don't describe the plot at all and just tell you to go watch it.
0: It's awesome. And then I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. Cause Peter over his head talking about get out. I stayed out till three 30 in the morning watching it. So this could be my, my, you could have affected my night directly here. Go ahead. Yeah. Knives out, but get out of course, also well
1: um, having said that, have you seen parasite? I have not. No oh, you me two. buddy. Okay. I don't, I don't want to give anything about that away either. Uh, it of course, one best, I believe his best film at the Oscars last year, uh, months run together now in post COVID era, or I guess it's still COVID era, but I don't even remember anything from February and before that. So go watch Parasite. It's two films, basically. It's an hour of one film, and then it's an hour of the second half, the second half which is suspenseful. So Parasite, write that down. Amazing. Also, if you want to go to one of my best experiences in the past five years with movies, have you seen or heard of The Arrival?
0: Oh, that I have. Yes, that's superior. Superior, yes.
1: Very very rarely do films like i sit down i stay sitting in my seat like thinking about something um inception's the last time i think it happened to me and then like i watched the arrival and just like i sat there jaw dropped i'm like there's so much i want to figure out now about the world and that's that's good basically for anyone who hasn't seen it aliens come down we got to find a way to communicate with aliens uh because we think they're trying to kill us and so it teaches you a lot honestly, just about communication with humans in general, I think it's an amazing film that everyone should see.
0: You're the DFS guru. You're the guy here. I'm going to win a million dollars because I, I want to retire and then I'll come work for you. Give me the give me the cheap week 13 DFS play at, with upside at each position. So we're starting to start a QB here. Who's a guy you may have mentioned before? Maybe not. Who's sort of a low, cheaper guy that you have an eye on right now as we're sitting here on, on Wednesday? Well, we talked about Trubisky,
1: so I, I think he's interesting. And to give to give you an overall breakdown here, uh, it's actually a great week in my opinion. It's only Wednesday, things change, but it's a great week for cheap plays at quarterback because, like the Dalton versus the Vikings slate a couple weeks ago, um, there was no one there to burn us. Of course, Justin Herbert did end up burning us. He took down winning tournaments, but. The reason we were paying down at quarterback is because it wasn't top heavy. And that's the same thing you see again this week. Um, Russell Wilson, the Seahawks offense, is not only running the ball more, but they're regressing to the mean. Like Remember, Russ, I think it was a 9%, 12% touchdown rate through those first six games, and clearly like it's tanked since then. Um, And then you know Patrick Mahomes. He's on Sunday night. Josh Allen plays Monday night. So there's no one around to burn us. So it seems like one we can spin down at quarterback, which are my favorite because it lets you take a lot more bets based on ownership. Oh, like this guy's going to be higher on. I'm just going to go to the other guy because all these guys suck. anyway. So we're trying to get there at that position. So Trubisky great has three touchdowns in three of his last four games against the lions. He's always played well against the lions historically. And we've seen, Uh, This past week, even in garbage time, he will feed Allen Robinson, whereas Nick Foles Robinson had a lower target share from. So, like Trubisky a lot. I like Kirk Cousins a lot. This Vikings team has 31 point implied team total, and it's risen from 29 since initially opening. Everyone's freaking out about, oh, uh, uh, Dalvin Cook, like, is the workload going to be limited? Is Alexander Madison going to get touches? What if we say screw it and we leverage off that decision? altogether and we go to Kirk Cousins double stacked with Adam Thielen who's back and Justin Jefferson seems like an amazing way to gain exposure because the Jacks rushing defense even played pretty well last week and they've played well all year whereas their secondary is what's getting burned here they even let Baker Mayfield and missing like four wide open receivers throughout the game have uh Nearly season best, like 259 yards, two touchdowns. So if Baker Mayfield can be good against the Jaguars, imagine what Kirk Cousins can do if he throws the ball. So I like that as well. Uh, and then Jared Goff. Bounce back spot for Jared Goff. Last year had... Oh, I think it was five touchdowns, or seven. I think it was five. Again, doing this off the top of my head. Five touchdowns, 740 yards against against Cliff Kingsbury and the Cardinals' defense. And then just a better spot in general, because he won't be playing a defense that has historically schemed him up well. We knew Robert Sala and, and... and Kyle Shanahan had his number from last year. That's why the 49ers have gone 4-0 no against the Rams the past two years. But against the Cardinals, Goff in this offense can't attack them downfield. So I like the Rams' offense as well.
0: Yeah, Goff is like Trubisky. Every once in a while is going to pop one of those four or five touchdown games. Just got to be ready and, and sort of see it coming. It could be this weekend. Absolutely. Running back has been an interesting position in DFS, John, because you had to fade Alvin Kamara two weeks ago, and you had to fade Dalvin Cook, I think, pretty much last week. Derek Henry went nuts. So who's a, a lower – if you're going to fade a big guy, who's a lower NRB here you like this week? I think going back to Jonathan Taylor is interesting. Oh, because okay. Because there's likely going to be garbage time in this game.
1: Again, no Will Fuller. And also, this time around, no DeAndre Hopkins for Watson to lean on. So where does the offense go? I don't know. Brandon Cooks is probably safe, honestly, but – If we get the garbage time here, which I think is what happens, Jonathan Taylor's back, and he's one week removed. He's a covid list stint removed from having 26 touches to Naheem Hines' nine. That could change. Like, this team continues playing all three backs in the first three drives, and whoever stands out gets the touches the rest of the way. But maybe Taylor is that guy who stands out. And again, maybe they favor him since he did well last time. So this Texans front seven most rushing yards allowed per game. It's one we like to attack with running backs weekly. I think Jonathan Taylor could sneak in here.
0: Give me a cheap wide receiver. This could be otherwise known as like the Marquez Valdez-Scantling portion of the show. (laughs) Is there a cheap wide receiver that could boom here for us? Yeah, I I like Denzel Mims. I I like this game overall.
1: And I, although Sam Donald wasn't good, I was at least encouraged that he kept uh, Denzel Mims and Brashad Perryman and a part, an integral part of the offense here. Mims uh, and Perryman tied with eight targets, and Mims, of course, got the team's only end zone target. And I still feel like he's due for positive touchdown regression here. Perryman has two touchdowns the past three or four games since Jamison Crowder returned, whereas Mims has more end zone targets, but no touchdowns in that time. And he has at least seven targets in every game, except one against the Chiefs when the, when, uh, the starters got benched, since returning from injury off injured reserve, so I
0: like Denzel Mams as a cheap option a lot this week. And tight end, the wasteland that is tight end here. Obviously, Travis Kelsey always an option, but if you're if you're not going to go to top guy, where are you going here? I hate tight end. I hate tight end. So I know hard. it's brutal. I, I I every week I end up on Trey Burton, John. I don't know why. Oh, and he's, every, he did well <laughs> last week. Uh,
1: just as a a DFS rule of thumb and these big slates, you didn't have to on Thanksgiving. It it was only two games. Who cares? But in big slates, I think you just correlate your, your end to your stack, your double stack. It makes it so much easier because we don't know which ones are going to pop off anyways that, or you go to the cheap guy, like Kyle Rudolph was in the game winning stack or game win game winning DFS lineup in general this past week, because he's only 2,800 because Irv Smith was surprisingly ruled out midweek. So just follow those lines. That would be Jordan Reed for me. I think he's a cheap option. Back-to-back games with six targets. And this past week, uh, not only was there a missed opportunity from Nick Mullins, Jordan Reed was wide open for a big splash play up the seam, but Nick Mullins just missed him. But also he ran 25 routes to Ross Dwelly's 10, so he's become more, a, a more part of the offense since returning from injury now that he's three weeks removed from coming off injured reserve and the bills have allowed the seventh most fantasy points per game to opposing tight ends, So I think he's a cheap option you can depend on this week.
0: John, this has been awesome stuff. Last question. Then we'll get you out of here. Look into that crystal ball. You know, you talked about planning ahead for defenses. Maybe that's one of the plays. What is the surprise week 16 play that you could see coming here with that schedule Sort of like last year, remember the Bengals-Dolphins matchup was sort of like a pivotal point in fantasy, and Ryan Fitzpatrick went 419 yards, four touchdowns. Is there a guy or a player that you think could like really take over Week 16 that maybe is worth mentioning right now? What's funny is
1: that Ryan Fitzpatrick, I believe, plays the Raiders in Week 16 as well, so uh, yeah. it, it seems like a really good matchup. Um, I like Drew Brees if he comes back, and he could come back at that time. Maybe they keep on biding time, but he plays... Uh, what was that matchup? Oh, the Vikings. Yeah, that's it. He gets the Vikings, who again, even Andy Dalton, the Cowboys averaged 5.9, 5.6 yards per play against them. And like the Cow- the Cowboys' offense, without Dak Prescott, this year been miserable. But they were able to move the ball against the Vikings, as does every other team they play. So if Drew Brees comes back, remember he came back before the team's bye week with an injured thumb last year. And Peyton just threw him in there for every single snap. There was no being limited. He just threw him in there. He was great. So I think he could return and be great again immediately if he's back. The sneaky one, though, you can stash would be McCole Hardman. Uh, Sammy Watkins and Demarcus Robin ran far more routes, like 40 more, I believe, than Hardman this past week with Byron Pinger on engine reserve. But maybe we get towards the end of the year. The Chiefs have a big lead, and they start involving Hardman outside of special teams more and more. And he gets the Falcons, who there is no way anyone on that team can cover him if he's playing at least 50% of the snaps. So I think Hardman's a sneaky
0: stash for championship week. Folks, John Daigle does it all, a World, NBC Sports, has the DFS show on YouTube as well. You can follow it there. Great, great job breaking everything down. Must follow on Twitter at NotJDaigle. John, awesome to get you on the bag, man. You kill it and you fit me in here with a very busy schedule. It's an honor to have you here. Great stuff. You covered it from, from soup to nuts. Awesome job. The honor was mine, Mike. I appreciate it. The wait is finally over, folks. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win the season. From the game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else.